Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the uh, throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, so you, you see the, the, the general focus here. He's saying in the 11th chapter, it's the chapter that talks about faith, there's this list, this catalog of all these people that lived and died in Christ, in God, from the Old Testament believers who didn't know what they were looking forward to and what, <clears throat> what they were even really living out. They just knew that God was calling them, like Abraham who left and went not knowing where he was going, uh, Moses who obeyed by taking on the, the, the task of leading the people of God and thereby suffering the, the affliction of the people of God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. And all the people in the Old Testament <clears throat> who didn't even know where they were going to the extent that you and I know where we're going. But they, the, the one thing they did, if you read Hebrews 11, they didn't all succeed in obvious, ostensible, earthly ways. They didn't all get over. They didn't all get in their hand everything they thought. Some of them actually intentionally relinquished the possibility of deliverance in the present in order to stay on track and to receive God's vindication ultimately in the future. They didn't all win on the earthly level, but they're all described, described as being winners with regard to God because the one thing they all did was that they kept going. They kept on fighting. They kept on persevering. They kept on praying. They kept on following even when they didn't know where they were going. They kept on listening even when they weren't sure what they were hearing. They, they, had, uh, they, they kept their eyes on God. They kept their eyes on the prize even when they didn't quite understand what the prize was. And sometimes, you know, you and I don't understand what, quite exactly where we're headed, but we know God has called us somewhere. In one place, Paul says, I strive for the, the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I don't know all that's entailed in that, but I know that God has called me to a better life than the one I had. I know that God has called me to a better quality of life, a better, a deeper relationship with him. I know that God has called me to a kind of spiritual freedom and a sense of peace in my heart that I never experienced before I met Jesus. I know that God has called me up out of that, out of that garbage I was in before I came to God. He's called me to something better. And so the challenge is, what do you do when the heat is on? And we talk about this a lot in, in Christian circles. The New Testament talks about it a lot. And so it's, it's worth a lot of discussion on our part because it is, a, it is a constant struggle and a constant challenge because we're always being tempted to turn back, to look back, to give up, to quit, to lighten up, to, to, to back off, right? Some of, sometimes we're, you know, we talked, last week I remember we talked about uh, people, you know, the Clarence, this quote by Clarence Jordan talking about a carried away church. And we talked about, I just mentioned just in passing the fact that, 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 that sometimes we, we, when we're really into God and we're really into Jesus, the people around us said, don't get too carried away. And so then we just, well, okay, so we, we lighten our grip. We, we, we compromise our testimony. We, we, we begin to, and you, and you all, I mean, we all know how it is. There are these seasons in, in our lives. You know, it's like the first of the year. And it's, it's like, Lord, this year I want to really make sure I set aside some quality time to, to pray every day and, and to read your word and to, to spend some time with you and, 
you know, first of the year, you know, you watch night service, you go home one in the morning, you say, and you go say, Lord, t- tomorrow's the day, first New Year's Day after I eat my chitlins or whatever it is. <clears throat> Why did I have to say that? My black eyed peas and whatever. After I do my, you know, New Year's thing and hang out with my family stuff, on the second, that's it. And in the second of January, you get up early in the morning, you get your Bible, crack your Bible open, and you spend some time, and, and, you, and, you, and you really feel like you're gaining something. And then about the, about the fifth or sixth of the month of January, right? It's, it's the same principle. It's why, it's why health clubs and gyms make so much money and why they can have, they're like a lot of churches that have 10,000 members and 100 people show up. <clears throat> because people start with good intentions and we, we fall back. But, but the challenge is in our text this morning is to realize that we are as Christians not just living a life, but we're running a race. And we're not racing against each other. We're not, you're, I'm not competing with you and you're not competing with me. The race I'm running, the goal, the, the victory for me is not to beat you, but to beat myself. The goal is to get to the end of the race. The goal is to, to complete the course, to win the marathon, because life is a marathon. And you don't get, it's not about how fast you run in this race. It's about whether or not you make it to the end. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We've seen people that have started out very fast and very, with a lot of energy, and they flame out and burn out. One of the things we have to be aware of, because um, when I talk about being carried away for God, I'm not talking about being crazy and living an unbalanced life and burning yourself out. But I'm talking about being passionately engaged and excited about the things of God and allowing God to radically transform and affect your life from the inside out. That's real. I'm not talking about trying to work so hard and try so hard and prove something to, to where you destroy yourself. And that's, some people get it confused. But I'm talking about being deeply in love with Jesus. And I'm talking about following him with everything in, in you and obeying him and loving him and serving him. It's a race we're called to run. And so he says, the, the challenge is we've got to run this race with three things. Number one, passion. Number two, purpose. Number three, perspective. Passion, purpose, and perspective. Because we're talking about endurance. And the first three verses of chapter 12 here teach us that the key to persistence and perseverance is passion. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about being carried away for Jesus, having a passion for God. You know, do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember those seasons in your life? And I don't, I don't mean to, to, to presume that, that, you, that, that any of us are, are, are not passionate for God in the moment, because I believe we are. But I think many of us can, can probably put our finger on moments and seasons in our lives where we were maybe a bit more passionate about the things of God than we are now. And maybe sometimes our passion has been, has been mitigated by the stress that's going on in our lives, by the pressures of our job and family life, by, by the... the, uh, the, the uh, relational issues going on in, in our lives around us that, that pull us down by, by the pressures of the, of the system and the society that, and the negative voices that, that, that pull us down. We, we lose our passion. But all of the men and women of faith that are documented in the, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, they all made it. They made it because they were passionate about the cause. Again, I, I will make the case that we need to be balanced and appropriate and rational, but I'll also make the case that we ought to be passionate about Jesus. We ought to be passionate about the things of God because isn't it amazing? I mean, because anything in life worth doing is probably worth being passionate about. Some of you know what it's like to, uh, to, to pursue a hobby, and particularly I talk to men. I don't know how women do with this stuff, but I know how we guys are. 
And when we, we get into something new, we're into it. And then, like, there are things I'm into and out of and then back into. It's like that, that's the way it is with golf. And I'm not into golf right now. Um, but I will be back. I will be back. And when I'm back, I'll be really into it for a while. And then I will not be into it. Because the problem with golf for a hobby for a man my age is that golf is hard. And you... See, there are things I could do that you go out doing that are fun, and you come back, and you always feel cool. But golf is like you go to the driving range, and you just want to take your golf clubs some days and just, like, break them over your knee and leave and throw them or give them to somebody. Take this because when you just keep hooking and slicing the ball all kinds of places, no matter what you do, and you don't – I'm just self – Greg, this is just self-confession up here. <laughs> it's not a hobby. Hobby's supposed to be restful. It's stressful. But you know how we are. When we're into it, we're into it. When we're in, you know, whatever. If you're in the, and some of you guys are really into basketball. Some of you ladies are really in. What are ladies really into? Shoes? <laughs> Don't get me started on. <clears throat> you know, it's like, that's like in the Old Testament. David was warned not to number Israel. Don't, so I've been warned not to count the shoes. <clears throat> so I haven't counted. I didn't look at them. <clears throat> I don't count them. I resist the temptation because I don't want to know. That, that, that's some numbers I don't want to know. <laughs> but, we, but if we're, I mean, and a lot of us in the church are, are, are in, and we're musicians. There, there are some people in the arts and different, some of you have different careers. And you know that when you, a lot of us are really passionate about what we do and what we're, what we're about. And there are seasons when we just really say, I'm talking about the God of the universe who made you. I'm talking about the God of the universe who sent his son Jesus to die for you, to redeem you from your sins. Ought we not to be passionate about this race that we're called upon to run and passionate for this cause? And so the writer compares our lives to this race and tries to convince his readers, that we've got to run this race with endurance if we plan to finish it well. And finish it well, we must. Finishing well or finishing strong, that's what we're called to do. Again, there are a lot of people that, there are people that had much more of a voice and much more clout than you and me with regard to the Christian life. There are people that, you know, became believers. You particularly see this with entertainers because there was this thing between the 70s and 80s where entertainers became Christians and the Christian community just embraced them because I guess we needed entertainers to help us to feel our faith was valid. I, I don't. I, my faith is validated by this one celebrity. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't care. I mean, it's nice and it's wonderful. And you, I pray for people in the entertainment industry because, you know, I mean, to some degree, some of us are involved in that business and, we, and, we, and they're people and we love all people, athletes. But that doesn't, it doesn't affect my faith one iota because if they were all crazy and decided to reject God, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with my faith. But there was a time when, when that, was, that was the, you know, that we would, we would look to that, you know, and we, we would, um, and, and there were people that, that they would, you know, there were people that, that would become Christians. They'd go somewhere, and, and then people would pounce on them and say, we get, and they'd put them on TV, give your testimony. And they said, well, my testimony, I was, you know, I was sitting in a hotel room, and I just finished smoking some crack when I was getting ready to shoot up some heroin and, um, and, and, and finish off another bottle of Jack Daniels. And, um, and then I was going, you know, this and that. And then I, a light shone, I saw a light, 
And, and then I, I turn on the TV and Oral Roberts or somebody was sticking his finger and said, you need God. And I, I fell on my knees. And that's wonderful when it happens like that. Cause it, and, and so the next thing, he's on TV. And then, then, but then, then what happens is six months later or a year later or two years or five years later, those people, they started strong. And there are people that, you know, some, you, that you guys got dramatic testimonies too, but nobody's going to put you on TV. Now, I have one of those everyday pedestrian testimonies. I got saved as a kid, so, I, you know, I mean, I, nobody wants to hear my story. I grew up in a Christian home, went to a good church as a youngster. But, but, but you know, it's like they... Well, we got a... Got a uh, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, it's like, you know, the, the issue is not that you start big, but the issue is that you finish... And you finish well. The issue is that you not have a flourish in your beginning, but that you complete the race and that you finish the race well. And so we run the the key to running the race and finishing the race with purpose is passion. And the key to passion is, number two, purpose. Purpose. We must run with purpose as opposed to running aimlessly. You understand the difference, right? So when we live the Christian life, we're living for the glory of God. We're living for his honor. We're living to accomplish his purpose in the world around us. And we're not just doing something to be doing it. And that's why everything that we do does have a purpose. It does. We run with purpose, not aimlessly. And then the key to purpose, where we'll camp out for a few moments a day, is perspective. Because the key to purpose is seeing things from a particular perspective, seeing things clearly. And the writer to Hebrews admonishes in, with regard to three things that will enable us to finish well. And they, the, the word consider comes into to play here. And the first one is this, consider them. Okay, say that, consider them. Okay. So in verse one, he says, therefore, and when you see the word therefore, it always points back to something else, and that goes back to chapter 11. Faith being the, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of that not seen. For by it, the, the elders in the Old Testament, they obtained a good report or honorable notice and mention from God because they ultimately persevered because of what they did. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, it's not as though they are sitting in heaven looking at us, but it is though they represent a cloud of witnesses whose lives testify to some fact. What we are to do is, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we need to consider what they have done, the people who've gone on before us. Since a cloud of witnesses has gone before us, we must look at the example of those that are part of that cloud. You're talking about the cloud, right? Cloud computing, right? I, I like, you know, the cloud. Uh, the Apple cloud, right? It's really cool. I got 8,000 pictures in the cloud now. I'm, I hope the cloud doesn't crash. <laughs> but, but, but I'm talking about the real cloud. And we need to consider... Those people, beginning with those in Hebrews 11, beginning with all of the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Old Testament, we need to consider them. We need to look at those whose lives testify to this fact, that the race is winnable. 
the race, I've turned to somebody right and said, listen, the race is winnable. Some people think that maybe the race is not winnable. Some people think that, well, this is it's too hard. Some people think that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this Christian life, if, it, if nobody can really live this. Let me tell you something. There are people, there are men and women who've gone before us in Bible times, in historic times. But there are men and women in generations just before us and around us alive right now whose lives and, t- and whose testimony demonstrate the fact that the race is winnable. You can do it. You can take it. You can make it. You can go all the way. And I'll tell you what, when we, apart from all of the people, the figures of the Old Testament, there is one that stands head and shoulders above all and who shines brightly, and that is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, who demonstrated it for us because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, he demonstrated that, listen, you can do it, you can take it, you can make it, you can go the distance, but he says, look, consider, consider them, consider that cloud, consider those people. Look at those whose whose lives testify that the race is winnable. Consider all of those who've succeeded. Now, sometimes we, and that's important to look at the folks who've made it rather than look at the folks who, because I just spent spent time talking about the folks that kind of crashed and burned. Epic fails, as they would say. Kind of like some of those drivers in the Russian dash cam videos. If you want to, if you want some 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 sick and strange and fun entertainment, Google, go to YouTube and look up Russian dash cam videos, and you'll see some incredible fails. There's some people trying to pass on the highway in places where you shouldn't try to pass. People trying to to to, to turn across lanes that you shouldn't try to turn across. Epic fails. And we look at the failures and we look at the folks around us that, that have abandoned the faith. We look at the apostates and the people who've fallen away, the people who've backslidden. We look at the people who've lost, the people who've missed out, the people who've messed up. But the writer here is saying we need to look at the people who've succeeded. And see, the people who've succeeded aren't always so flashy and so, so, and, and so flamboyant. The people who've succeeded are not always, they, they, they don't, they don't always, always, they don't grab our attention the same way because it might be that brother that's just sitting next to you in the church right now who ain't really that exciting other than the fact that they've been living for Jesus a long time and serving God with consistency and with faithfulness. It's not, you know, they may not be a star, but they're a star in God's eyes because of the fact that they're, they're making it. They're living the life and they're taking it to their, they're taking their faith to their job and they're, whatever their job is, whatever they're called to do, wherever they work, they're, 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 they're living rather than cussing everybody out on a job. They're, they're trying to love people and serve people and demonstrate the gospel in the workplace, in their family life, in their community, and they're simple, regular, ordinary people. Consider those who've succeeded, not those who failed. Because those who failed provide for us, yes, a warning, but those who have succeeded provide for us hope. And we need the warnings. Apostle, the Apostle Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Look at Israel. Look at, look, at, look at their mistakes. Learn from them. But we also need the hope that comes from looking at the positive examples of those who've succeeded. And that's why we need testimony. That's why it's good. That's why we, there's time in church for somebody to get up and say, you know what? I just want to thank God that I made it this week. I just want to thank God that I got through that depression. I just want to thank God that I came through that season of difficulty and that God is faithful and has sustained me. I just want to thank God that he brought me through that illness. We need to hear the testimony because in Revelation it says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so as we consider them, and who are they? The great cloud of witnesses. And I submit to you that that cloud begins in the Old Testament and extends to now. And we'll go on until Jesus comes again. But it starts with them. And they are the most sterling examples that we can emulate and become a part of that cloud. 
as we consider them, they bear witness to one undeniable fact. We sang about it this morning. That is that God is faithful. God is faithful. Their faithfulness is a testimony to the faithfulness of God who empowers them and sustains them to be faithful in the midst of all kinds of circumstances and situations. They bear witness to the fact that if you place your trust in God, you will not be disappointed. Because, and you will not be made ashamed. If you read Hebrews 11, you find that, that, that victory on the part of this cloud, on the part of them, is not demonstrated necessarily by the earthly outcome of their lives. Interesting thing happened in our culture early in the 20th century, and Dale Carnegie was probably the, uh, the, the leader in this shift. We moved in our culture from being a, uh, from the, the, the cult of character to the cult of personality. It had historically kind of been about not so much being popular and likable and the, the life of the party. And Dale Carnegie wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is really helpful for, for, for introverts who are trying to, 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 to become extroverts and people who are trying to interface with the, with the public and and, and that kind of thing, but it, it really re- reflected a shift because before a certain point in, in our history, everybody kind of understood that it would, life was about character and being something on the inside, and it really didn't matter a whole lot that everybody thought about you, and it's the, the idea, of course, this idea of celebrity is really a newfound and greatly exaggerated and blown out of proportion thing, and so it's one of the things when we talk about some of the things that hinder, we have to be careful of that, that, that thing because it's, that, that's a, that's a, a feature of the later time in our culture that probably is is not the best feature, but it wasn't about that. But and, but now, it, but then it became about that, right? So now it's it's more popular. You know, it's like my approval rating and my polling and the number of people in my Twitter feed or whatever, and the number of people that follow me here or there, or whatever, like me or whatever, or a number of Facebook friends and all that garbage. And that's all fine for what it is, but in the ultimate scheme of life, it really probably means very little because you can be, you can be extremely popular and extremely bad, extremely devilish, extremely misguided, extremely twisted and sick. Does it matter what people think, what the populace thinks about you on that level? Because you'll notice in in the life of Jesus, he was extremely popular a week before he became extremely unpopular. And of course, that happens all around us. But but I digress. In Hebrews 11, it wasn't because Everything worked out for them all the time, and everything will, doesn't work out for you and me all the time, but God works in everything. Synergeo is the Greek word from which we get the English word synergy. Even when it doesn't seem like you're winning, you're winning. Even when it seems like you're losing, you're winning, because you can't lose in God, because God will work everything in your life for your ultimate good, and your ultimate good may not really be so much in embodied in your momentary sense of comfort or ease. I, I shouldn't say this stuff because it's not popular. My, my popularity ratings will plummet. But it's true. It was, 
it wasn't the fact that they, they, the earthly outcome of their lives, they didn't all get rich. They didn't all succeed in, in, in business without really trying. They didn't all be, win friends and influence people. Some of them were detestable to the world around them. Think about Elijah and, and, and Elisha and think about some of the prophets in the Old Testament. The, the kings hated them because they were the, the, the voice of, of godly truth in the midst of the, the perversity and the craziness of these kings of a theocratic kingdom that had lost sight of God and had allowed all kinds of, of, of abomination into the house of God. And, and guys like, like Elijah and Ezekiel and, 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 and Jeremiah who would have to stand up and they were hated and, and persecuted and scorned. But Hebrews is saying, listen, that's okay. They knew what they were doing and they succeeded. It's not the earthly outcome, but what the, the, the victory is demonstrated in the, their tenacity to persevere despite the circumstances that they face. That's when you win. You win when you go forward and when you go through no matter what you're, what, what you're dealing with, what you're faced with, no matter what you're experiencing in the moment. That's, that's the victory. And it suggests that we as Christ followers, we need to be wary of, 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 the, of, of testimony that, that proclaims that, hey, if you follow Christ, if you follow Christ, you too can have the good life. And the reason you have to be wary of that testimony is that the problem is because that statement is true. But if you say it alone without qualifying it, you have to be, you have to be careful because what the Bible defines as the good life and what other people outside of the realm of Scripture would, would, would define as the good life are two different things. We have to re-envision what the good life is. Some of you know what it's like before you became a Christian. Before, when you, before you got saved, the good life was Friday night. <laughs> Remember back in the 80s, it was Friday night, just got paid, money in my pocket. <laughs> Eagle fly on Friday. Saturday I go out and play. Sunday I get down on my knees and pray because I done messed up so bad in other days. That was, the good life was just, just trying to get over. It was just a little party here and there. A little, and, and you hear it. In the, it's reflected in, in our culture going back forever. But the good life is defined in the kingdom of God. It's not just momentary pleasure. It's not just relief from stress on a Friday night. Not just having a, 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 few, a bunch of money in your pocket. Now God supplies all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And God brings us joy unspeakable and full of glory. But it's, a little, it's, a little, it's not just that simple. You have to re-envision what the good life is. You gotta, we have to look more discerningly at the, at the lives of great men and women of God. And again, that flies in the face of Christian celebrityism because Christian celebrityism says, hey, look at me. I'm a successful Christian celebrity because I, have, I love Jesus and look at all I've got. And, you know, and the ones that don't love Jesus got the same stuff you got. You just love Jesus. Right. And then, but then when, you, when your career tanks out there, you can turn to the church and you can go preach and make more money. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? But the witnesses you need to be looking at are, are not some icon off somewhere in the distance, but the ones that you probably need to be looking at are right under your nose. Might be in your family. Might be your brother and sister in church. Your, your, your prayer partner. Might be that, that neighbor, that person right under your nose. The people closest to us in our family, in our environment, in our church. Because it doesn't take as much faith to persevere if you seem or appear to have the Midas touch, everything I touch turns to gold. 
But see, that doesn't take a lot of faith if that's what you, if what you live in. But it's the dogged tenacity, the persistent commitment of regular folks that provides us with hope. I, I, really, I mean, it, it doesn't inspire me and it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't fuel my faith to see somebody who didn't got over, get over. But when I see regular folks like you, when I watch you in your struggle and you in your, in your difficulty and I watch you make the decision that I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what, I'm going to keep on coming to church, keep on praying, keep on living for God. That's what, that's what, that's what builds my faith. Uh, I hope I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stepping on anybody's toes this morning. Uh, if I do, maybe you wore your steel-toed boots today, but, but you hear what I'm saying. I hope you get what I'm saying. It's those who persevere not because everything goes right in their lives, but in spite of less than optimal circumstances. They persevere because they've considered these others that have gone on before them. They've considered others. And then it takes us to the second thing. It always takes two clicks. Consider ourselves. Now, this is not what we would, we would say is uh, sort of hyper-introspective obsession with ourselves. We can become narcissistic in that. It is attributed to Socrates, I think, the statement that the unexamined life is not worth living. And who is he to say what kind of life is not worth living or worth living? Who's, that's a, even in and of itself to me sounds like a bit of a grandiose statement. And I've often thought, well, the unexamined life is not worth living, but the unlived life is not worth examining. So we get out here while you're examining, make sure that you're living and not just exam. But in the text, he's saying we need to consider ourselves. He says, because this is what we need to do. We've got to, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So it's now, it's our turn to run, right? My mother ran the race. She made it to the finish line. My dad ran, ran, I think he made it to the finish line, just kidding. He made it to the finish line. When I, the people in the churches I grew up in around me, my, my pastors, I had two main pastors in my upbringing. I know those both, those are wonderful men of God who nurtured and loved and, and helped mold my life. I know they, they ran the race and made it to the finish line. Uh, and I, when, I was in, when I was a little guy in the church of God in Christ, the, the church mothers and the, and the, the deacons and the, the elders on the platform on the pulpit, even old Brother Redmond, <laughs> they, they ran it. They, they, made, they, they, they ran the race and they finished. And when I was at West Adams Forsker, Marvin and Juanita Smith and some of the other brothers and sisters, that, some of the young guys. I remember when I was my, as a teenager, these younger guys, these guys in their young 20s that, that, that were just really like big brothers to me, Howard Robinson and, and Clifford Laney and my, my buddy John Matthews, who was my, first, my, my youth pastor. They, they, and John died at, in, the, in his 40s. He went in for an appendectomy and, and uh, set up in the bed the next day, was doing fine, and then died. You know, that happens sometimes. But John was a young man of God, and he, he had planted so much uh, love and truth in my life, and I look back on John, and he and he ran the race, and he 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 made it to the finish line. But I have to turn from them now. I have to look at me. What what's going? What's happening with me? I have to examine myself. I got to consider myself. Uh, it's 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 my turn to run the race. But in running the race, you know, you got to watch out for the pitfalls. I don't like running. I never did like running. But I I I have spent some time on a bicycle, 
And you know, one thing you'd learn, the streets of L.A. are treacherous. Oh, yeah, you can testify to that. You can. A little uh, spill that time. I went off a curb, and, and there's been some guys got, and one guy became a quadriplegic. He hit, they used, now they put these metal slats across the grills that, that go into the storm drain because a, a skinny, a 700-millimeter tire gets caught in there and throw you and kill you. You got to watch out for the pitfalls. When you're walking, you got to watch out for the pitfalls. So you know when you're running, you got to watch out for the pitfalls. And then you got to make sure that's it. And when I, and when I first, first started riding bicycles, I was out of shape. And so I did everything I could to economize on weight. I liked, I liked the fact that, you know, you, everything was lightweight because I was trying to carry as li- little weight. And I didn't go wearing a backpack when I went bicycling and carrying a whole bunch of sandwiches and stuff on me because I'm trying to get out here. <laughs> because I was feeling it. When you're flying in an airplane, they, guess what? It's like uh, biggest part, one of the biggest issues of, of, of aerodynamics is called weight and balance. You've got to make sure that you don't carry too much weight or that plane will not get off the ground. And you've got to make sure that that weight's in the right place or that plane will, 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 will become unstable and crash. You've got to consider the pitfalls. And so it's our turn to lay aside every weight, as he says, to lay aside every, look at this word, encumbrance. That which encumbers you. Anything that would prevent you from finishing well. And the challenge is to tend our own lives in such a way as to avoid whatever would hinder us in running our race. Tending our own hearts. Tending our lives. Managing our lives in that way. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.27. And this is from the New Living Translation. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, Paul isn't talking about asceticism. He's talking about living an appropriately dis- disciplined lifestyle. You know, asceticism is, 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 is when that concept is taken to an unhealthy extreme and people think, by, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to, you know, I'll f- self-flagellation, take a cat of nine tails and hit hit myself on the back. Yeah, people do that kind of stuff. I'll, uh, I, I remember reading a story of a guy that like, lived in a tree for like nine years or something. I guess he, I guess he had an argument with his wife or something. Uh, but he was trying to be a holy man. <laughs> but, you know, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about going to unhealthy levels of... But he's talking about training in order that you can do what you're called to do. The King James Version says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And so obviously, you now the sins we understand, right? I hope you know. And you know, it's funny because I, this really needs to be emphasized because I think we're in an era in our culture where Christians, a lot of Christians, they don't understand that, we're de- that, that Christ has not only delivered us from the penalty of sin, but he has broken the power of sin in our lives. And that sin is a lethal agent that we have been delivered from and we are to live as to the greatest extent possible free from now we all inadvertently sin and then thank god john says in his first epistle that if we if we confess our sin god is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness yes but but sin obviously it will impede your your walk and some you know and, and it's not the simplistic formula that well if i be real good god will like me and if i'm bad god this is this more nuanced than that it's like this though sin is a kind of it, it, it is it is it, it is deleterious it is 
it is detrimental to our soul and to our well-being. That's why Jesus, that's why the, the Son of Man came to, 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 to break the power of sin, to seek and to save those who are lost, to deliver us from its power and, and, and its grasp, and to deliver us from its practice. That's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification. We're being sanctified. Because if we just, there, and it's there's just, there's, there's some stuff, if you allow it in your life, it's just going to flat out mess you up. And we kind of, we know that straight out, right? We, I think we understand it. If I want to live a, an effective and victorious life in Christ, that lust is an enemy to what I'm trying to do. That hatred, gossip, backbiting is an enemy. It's sin. It's straight out sin. And, it's, it, it, and I think on a rational level, all of us indicate that as a Christian, is that, is that going to mess you up on you trying to run the race? Sin, will, it, it'll, it'll, it won't like trip you up. It'll, it'll knock you down, knock you out the race. Bible warns us against being beguiled by the deceitfulness of sin as Christians because we're told to not harden our hearts when we hear God's voice. But he says there's, there's more, though. There, there are encumbrances. There are other things that are not. Because here's the thing. Do I just want to go to, do I just want to get to heaven? Do I just want to, I just want to be good in the sense I want to get to heaven and make sure that God, you know, that everything is cool, but I'm not really trying to really do this, you know. But uh, let's, let's coin a phrase. Let's talk about this in terms of living the optimum, fully realized Christian life. You know what I'm saying? Optimum meaning that we're living the best life we can in Christ. Fully realized means that we're realizing the full benefits of Christ's death, the work of the Holy Spirit, that we are allowing the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to shape and mold our lives, to enable us and strengthen us as we move forward in this race. And so... In order to live what I would call the optimum Christian life, there are some things, other things that are not obvious sins that may hinder us. And as you grow in your relationship with God, God will give you the discernment to, 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 to be able to, to discern these, discernment to discern, wow, that's deep, these things. And I'll just give you some examples without trying to sound like churchy and old school, but it's like I'll give you some obvious things because I think we could relate to these. In the realm of entertainment, and there are many of us are involved in entertainment, and we are in a generation where there's so much, there's a lot of our cultural content that's communi- communicated through film and music and so many things. And, but but we, some of us will come to realize that because of what we're trying to do and where, where you're trying to go, that being in certain settings in some situations, that there are times that there are indulgences that may seem borderline or to some people harmless, but because of what you're trying to live and the excellence in God that you're trying to get through, there's some things you just don't really need. And I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to let that lay there. And you, some of you, I think you know what I'm talking about. There's some things that, seem, that others may seem, that seem absolutely innocent, but because of where you are in your journey at that moment, you realize that that's, that's not helping me. And if it's not helping me, because what do I really want? Do I just want just a little more entertainment in the moment? We got a lot of that in our society. Well, God, we're just like, because we got it in our, in our pocket. I mean, we can't get on. I mean, people, everybody on the bus now is, is watching movies. And, you know, I mean, we, we got entertainment all the time. Do we really need to be amused? <laughs> uh, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just back off. I'm getting a little too get off those feet. But, but I, I suspect that in coming years, as we get over our initial infatuation with technology, some of us will find that, oh, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I ain't got nothing else to do today. But, 
that some of us in certain situations, now this is not, this is not legalism. I'm not pronouncing law here. I'm not saying this is bad or good, right or wrong. I'm saying, look at this in a nuance. Depending on where you're trying to go, what you're trying to be, what you're trying to live, the, 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 the quality and the tenor of relationship that you are trying to find with God and the, the usefulness that you want in, to, to exhibit in the world around you, in the things of God. And you may find that, that, that social media in some forms or, or, or just constant online involvement or having everything. I, I found out that having everything that's happening in the world flashing on up before me 24 hours a day was not promoting my peace. I, I didn't need to know about the news till 6 o'clock. I, I, I just because that means all day long I'm getting bombarded with bad and challenging and questionable news. And then some folks text me stuff before they vetted it to find out it was a lie in the first place. Someone's with this one, and then that's not true. You know, you know, maybe we might find that I, I might tune that down a little bit because it's just it's something I don't need. I, I, I don't need to have all this content every waking moment. I might need to have some, some moments, some seconds, some minutes, some hours of my life where things are quiet and I can hear God instead of hearing. I don't even, I, it's one thing to hear God and through other people. It's another thing to hear God through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I said that out there. Now, I'm going to edit that out, the CD, because I don't want nobody to be mad at me. I'm trying to win friends. No, I'm just kidding. But some, some, some may find that the overuse and dependency on some of these things become an impediment to our living the optimal Christian life. Because these things are, a lot of these things are about people liking you and people's... At, Checking like on your status and trying to portray your best self and your best foot forward and your best image and, and then people's comments back on what you're doing and that gets nasty and that maybe it might be a point but maybe a, I might I might just need to moderate that I'm not saying I'm a musician and I came to realize I don't need music all the time I'm a musician I'm a real one I've been doing it for a long time but I realize I don't need to have noise in my head. I don't have to walk around with headphones in my ear in the store and all the t- Sometimes I need to just be quiet so that the spirit of the Lord can speak. And, and it's, it's nothing wrong with that. I don't need Christian media all the time. Because I doubt if you're going to get anything out of like 14 or 15 sermons if you didn't get nothing out of the 20 minutes when I'm standing here looking you in the face. You say, well, damn, the one on TV is anointed. Yeah, and then you, you know. But, but you know what I'm saying? Because some of you have been pulled, you do this way and that way. He said this, he said. Come on, let me stop. Man, I just. But we may come to realize that a simpler, more organic approach to our faith will enable us to contend better for the prize of the high calling rather than a real complex, confused one that we can construct from the world around us that we live in. It's becoming very, very raucous and very noisy and very confusing with a lot of different voices coming from a lot of different places, calling forth a lot of need for discernment. See, there are things that are not wrong, but there are things that are distractions. And sometimes those things even come in the guy. I grew up in, in the church playing gospel music. And every time I realized that gospel music was, was a distraction and a weight in certain settings for what God wanted to do in my life. Yes, gospel music, because I didn't need to go to every 3 o'clock program or play for everybody's concert and see every choir march in and deal with all them folks that were talking about. They were saved up in there that weren't saved. So I stepped back from some of that stuff and allowed God to, to mold my life some other ways. And I I don't regret that one bit. 
Distractions. Oh, I got I to gotta hasten to a close. Those are good, famous preacherly words. There are voices in the world around us that are, that are not evil per se, but they stir up sentiments and passions and they instill anxiety and fear and discord and confusion in our hearts. Got to guard your heart. Uh, the, the call is to consider ourselves. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. Vigilance. I got caught between this word and the King James word, which is diligence. Vigilance, ESV, for from it flow the springs of life. So I don't know if I want to hear everybody's argument. I don't know if I want to be on every, in on every discussion. I don't know if I want to hear everything. I don't want to, I don't want to, con- I don't, I want to consider myself and not consider all the noise in the world around me. I need to tend my inner life. I need to govern my thought life. In 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, Paul says, this is what we do. We demolish strongholds and arguments and pretensions. We bring, we, we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We get our minds in gear. We get rid of everything that would distract or, 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 or impede us in our journey forward. And then finally, I got to quit. I don't want to keep you. I'm not going to keep you all day today because you're not going to stay. Consider Jesus. Consider them. Who's them? Who is they? They are the, the witnesses. Consider whom? Ourselves. And then consider Jesus. Now, let's, let's hit this. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's where you look. You find out that, you know, when you're riding a bicycle, you, you basically kind of end up steering where you look. So that's why you got to be careful where you, where you look. I remember when learning to fly airplanes, that basically you kind of set the nose of the airplane on the horizon a certain place, and the airplane kind of goes where you set the nose, and, you know, you use your compass and all, but that's kind of what you kind of tend to go where you look, and you know that. Some of you have little, have had little children, and they, they, uh, you're walking down the sidewalk, and they're looking, and they will go off to the right, because they're looking at the little dog over here. We go where we look, and he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, now, Jesus ran his own race, and he endured hardship. Would you say Jesus' life embodied hardship? And he did it by... putting his gaze on the rewards. In other words, he looked at what, what the prize was. So we're called upon to follow his example. And since he himself, in essence, is our reward, Jesus is the prize for us, then we fix our eyes on him. You go where you look, and so your life tends to follow your eyes. You understand that principle, right? So if your eyes, if you're looking, if you're looking over here at that, that's what you're going to get. That's where you're going to go. If you're looking over here at that, but if you look at Jesus, that's, where you, that, that's who you're going to get and where you're going to go. And so since he, you know, Jesus endured the challenges of, of his life, and he made it all the way to the finish line, the right, and the finish line for him was the right hand of the Father because he kept his eyes on the prize. You know, you understand, he left his home in glory. He endured the whole human experience. He was tempted like us but overcame and when it didn't sin, he died the most humiliating death imaginable. He fully entered into our human experience. He died. He was buried. He rose from the grave, and he went back to the fathers like it was a circuit. He said, I got to go. I got to do this. I got to go give my life for, 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 these, for our children. And he did it. He lived and died and went the whole distance and went back where he started. He made the circuit. He completed his task. He did it all because his goal wasn't just to get home at the end of the day, so to speak, but his goal was to bring many sons and daughters like you and me to glory. 
His goal was to redeem the lost children of God, those whom God had created in his image who had, been, who had been become captive to sin. His goal was to accomplish the purpose of destroying the power of sin, the power of Satan, and the power of death. And he did that successfully. And out of triune love, God created you and me as the expression of that love and as to be the recipients and the objects of that love and to share in that love. And sin would have undermined that divine purpose. But Jesus kept in his, in his, in his view, he kept the end game of a redeemed humanity, of God's glory being revealed in redeeming grace and redeeming love. And we talked about it in Ephesians, to the praise of the glory of his grace. He did all this for us. He kept before him the ultimate triumph over sin and evil, death and destruction because he had a purpose. He had a goal and he was enabled to endure all that he faced. I hope you have a goal in your life and I hope it's Jesus. And I know that there are a lot of sub-goals, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of interim things. I know that some of us, our goal is to, to, is, is to buy a home, to, to get out of debt, to, 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 to find the, the dream job. And those are good goals. Our goal is to raise our families, to, to instill some good values in our kids. Our goal is to, is to, is, is to, is to get our career established or to, get, to get, get some notoriety in our field of expertise. Our goal is to get an education. All those things are wonderful, and God is in all of that. I'm not demeaning that, but I hope that we understand that in the midst of all that our ultimate goal in life is Jesus and to, to, to comp- accomplish his purpose in the world. And all of those things serve that. I hope that our goal is to fully realize all that God has sent his son to provide for us. Lord, I want everything that you died to give me. I don't want anything to be held back. I don't want to lose anything by neglect or by allowing the weights of, of and sin around me to, 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 to rob me of those things. I hope that your goal is to perpetuate and disseminate that love, that grace, and that mercy that has saved you. I hope that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we become possessed by the same goal that he was possessed by and that was the goal of the glory of God God I want you to be glorified and honored through my life I want you to look good I want your fame to spread throughout the nations I want you to be glorified because of your love for me and so as we fix our eyes on Jesus we will make the world we live in a better place right not because we're obsessed with the world but because we're captivated by the world to come I remember yeah there was, I remember when I was around, when before Andre was quite as big as he became, Edwin Hawkins in like 68 or 69 hit with this record that I just devoured as a young aspiring musician in the, and I shouldn't use those years, back, in, back, back a few years ago. And I remember, and Edwin Hawkins, his stuff, before his brother Walter became, he was the cat. And if you ever get that, that album, that old Happy Day on, is on that was a classic record and I church with our youth choir we did every song on that record I know them all I still remember and it was this one song this might have been off the second one but it was if you want the world to be a better place to live in and he said try out you know he would get all he was trying to get all pop try real love try real peace don't put it off try to but you know what if that that was he probably didn't quite catch that if you want the world to be a better place to live in then make sure that you are not obsessed with and in love with the world but become in love with God and the world to come and then you will be enabled to make the world that you're in now this planet this environment this world this life a better environment your presence will will exude and radiate the glory of God because what the world needs is not people that are in love with the world but people that are so in love with God John Wesley put it like this. I ask God to light me on fire and then, and then, then the people can come and watch me burn. <laughs> and that's what, the, what we need. Yeah. Oh, I got I to draw this to a close. I'm going I'm over time on the new time. On the old time, I'm okay, right? <laughs>
But as we consider us, we need to tend the garden of our own lives in order that we may live the optimum Christian life. But as we consider Jesus, we look at his priorities. We take courage as we consider his perseverance and his commitment. We realize in the end that compared to what he endured, we ain't seen nothing yet. I, and I, and beloved, I know that some of you have gone through severe and, 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 and fiery trials. I know that in this room there are stories of incredible pain, of abuse and, 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 and neglect and, and mistreatment and reversal and suffering and loss. And, because we're human beings and we live in the world and we are subject to those things. And I know we have those stories. And I don't mean, and I dare not, I would not in any way minimize my struggle or yours because your pain is your pain, my pain is my pain. And you know, I'm, and we all can identify with this, when you're hurting in that moment, when your heart is broken, when you're crushed, when someone says those words that cut you like a knife, in that moment it is, it is, it is like, it is, it is the most horrible thing. And, and that pain is indescribable. But I have to say this, and to be true to Scripture, what the writer is saying here is, listen, I know you guys, he's saying to his readers, I know you guys have gone through some stuff. He says this, but consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So maybe it says to us that, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not as bad as it seemed. Maybe it's not as dire as I thought. Maybe there's more hope than I realize, and maybe I have it better off than I, than I thought I did. Maybe I can get up and clean up and turn my eyes on Jesus. And maybe I can, and because I know some of you say, I done been through so much and I'm tired. Well, maybe God's saying, I know you're tired, but you get up, I'm going to give you some strength because you can't quit now. Because there's some things, I don't care how tired you, if you're here and you say, I'm pastor, I'm tired, and you sit in this nice, comfortable $60 chair, But at some time, I'm going to tell you like they used to tell you at the club. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Someone said, you used to tell me, they told me that at the club last night. Don't, don't answer that. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, turning back and quitting is not an option. It's not an option. And so uh, consider them and us. Consider you. Get rid of the impediments and consider Jesus who went the distance for you. And you have not had it as severe as he has. And so he's given you his hope and his strength and his encouragement. And you can do this. Not in your own strength, but you can do it in his power. Amen. You believe that? Let's stand.